have you with us this morning. Would you stand and worship with us?
Jesus' blood in righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest thing, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. Christ alone, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all.
Jesus, you brought heaven down. 
What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Your name is so powerful. Your name is so great. Thank you, Jesus. You say this after me. Jesus is my Lord. What a declaration that is. Hallelujah. We say it from our heart. It is a fact. We say it, Jesus, you are our Lord, and we worship you. Let's say that again together. Jesus is my Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all that belongs to him what he has redeemed us from and what belongs to him now belongs to us because he is our Lord. Father, we thank you for divine protection. We thank you for divine provision. We thank you for the peace of God that rules and reigns in our hearts and in our lives because Jesus is our Lord. We thank you, Father, for the joy of the Holy Spirit, independent of circumstances, because Jesus is our Lord. We pray for each person, Father, who is here today, and each person, Father, who is a part of our church and for our families. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen each one by your Spirit. We surround them with faith and love and we declare over them that they are walking with God. We declare over them that they're strengthened, that they're serving you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. Thank you for ministering to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, and if you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Before you're seated, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to several people sitting around you. If you don't know their name, find that out. We're going to dismiss the kids. And the youth, uh, to kids and youth takeover today. For those of you who are worshiping with us through Facebook and YouTube today, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're with us. Praise the Lord. We know that God's going to minister to you right where you are. Amen. There's no distance in the spirit. We're united. Amen. Praise the Lord. The fifth Sunday of every month, which obviously happens four times a year, we have what we is called in our kids' ministry the youth takeover. And so the youth conduct the service for the children on that fifth Sunday. So it's, uh, it's, it's a great unifying thing for all the ages, especially as the children get um up in years, you know, when they get into around fourth and fifth grade, they're chomping at the bit already wanting to get into youth, right? 
that's how they are. They're, 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 they want to be pushed. Let me go. And it's really okay to have boundaries with the kids. Like, I know that there's no parents who are here like that. But uh, if children, like, whine and complain, I want to do this, parents get, we get tired of the whining, don't we? And so it's just so tempting to give in to the whining and let them do what we want. But this is what I say. Parents, unite. Don't give in to the whining. They will be better off. They will have to learn patience. It's good for them. And so when your fourth grader or fifth grader wants to skip a few grades, I want to go, I want to go, don't needle our youth pastor and our children's pastor because it's good for them to have to be patient. Think about it. But, but I get it. We want to cave. We want to give in. One time, I tell this story sometimes to the women, uh, it was when my kids were going, one of my children was going to uh, preschool. And um, so I, I dropped the, the, whichever one was off that day. And one mother said to me every morning, she, what she said to me, every morning I have to feed my son or daughter, whatever it is, ice cream for breakfast every morning. And I said, <laughs> why? You know? And she said, if I don't feed her ice cream, oh, it was a girl. If I don't feed her ice cream, she's going to cry and scream and complain about it to me. So I just feed her ice cream every morning for breakfast. <laughs> well, we're not teaching our children anything. I don't know how I got off on that. But anyway, just make them be patient and then have backbone and unite with other parents and know you are not alone in your frustration. <laughs> but it's good for them. Amen. Praise the Lord. We want to uh, just let you know a couple of things. You can There should be a new bulletin out today for the month of June, and in that bulletin you can find some things that are going on, especially if you have youth or teens. Uh, please notice um, in the calendar section for sure the dates of our Vacation Bible School of our kids camp, which is going to be held here at the church. It's just two nights at the church. And then also of our youth camp. So be sure you put those dates on the calendar. We always put those dates on our calendar first at the beginning of the year. And we scheduled everything else around those dates. So um, I encourage you to do that. Praise the Lord. Um, and that's really all I have to say. Aren't you glad? Say praise the Lord. Who said that? Martin, did you say that? Martin, Martin said that, didn't he? I heard him. I heard him say praise the Lord. Anyway. No, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Amen. The ushers can come forward. We're going to uh, worship the Lord with our giving this morning. If you need an envelope for your giving, you can just lift up your hand and the ushers will serve you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And uh, why don't we say this together? It's a declaration. Thank you, Father. You're El Shaddai. I speak abundance and provision over our finances in the name of Jesus. I'm a tither. I'm a giver. Therefore, the windows of heaven are open above me, and you pour us out a blessing. There's not room enough to receive. Thank you that you bless us so we can be a blessing. 
You enable us so we can be givers. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. you've had the chance to give, would you stand and worship with us again this morning? Aren't you glad to be in church, to have a place to come, to worship? Don't take that freedom for granted, amen? Great. 
Monday is Memorial Day. And in, in the history of our country, there have been over 1,100,000 people that have given their lives for our freedoms. So let's take a moment and pray for the families that lost loved ones and thank God for the freedom that he has bestowed upon us. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to comfort the families who have lost loved ones in the armed services. We thank you, Father, for the peace that passes understanding. And Father, we pray that you would direct this country and the leaders of this country so that those lives were not lost in vain, but that freedom would prevail and continue even in these last days, even as we approach the end of time. Thank you, Father, for making it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 1 identifies that this is an eyewitness account of the creation of the world. But notice in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginnings of what? It wasn't the beginning of God because he doesn't have a beginning. So the, in the beginning has to relate to mankind because God wants us to understand how he created and how he formed this present world that we live in. Notice verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. This word was also means became. And I think that with just a little bit of logical reasoning, we have to accept that became would be a better translation because the Bible says in Isaiah 45, verse 18, God said, I created the world. I created it not in vain. That word vain is the same word that is used here in Genesis 1-2, the earth which was without form and void. So God created the earth to be inhabited. How could you create something that was without form and void? especially since God said that's not the way he created the world. Something had to happen to change the condition of the world that God created to the state that it was in when darkness covered the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. 
Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the night the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, folks, there are some things that we are unclear on, things that the Bible doesn't spell out for us. Specifically, there is the idea that each of the six days could be a thousand years. The Bible says in one place, a thousand years with the Lord is as one day, and one day is as is a thousand years. And so many people, and I'm, I'm not criticizing them, and I don't want to fall out about it, but many people believe that these days that God established were 6,000 years. Each day, a 1,000 years. And the six days of creation would be 6,000 years. And then the day of rest, the Sabbath, would be 7,000 years. Now, there's no way that we can manipulate the, the language to come up with that 1,000-year period. God created what he called the light and the day. And it would be simply a shock to our system to understand that God is powerful enough to create a day. But that's what these words mean. These words refer to a day, a 24-hour period. Notice that God did not create the heavens and the earth, at least the, the creation of the earth. He did not create it from scratch. The words that are used for creation in the first chapter of Genesis are words that refer to an adjustment or repair of something that was already here. Now, we know certainly that somewhere along the way, God created the, the earth in a different form than what we find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We don't know what that form was. We don't know exactly how things work. There are some scriptures in the Bible in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that tell us a little bit about Satan and Satan's attack against God and his defeat as God cast him out of heaven. And it's certainly possible that Satan being cast down to the earth, he was in a, place, a position of leadership or rule, ruler of the earth, to some degree at least. We don't know to what extent. But it's highly probable that it was the... the work of God to cast the devil down to the earth that would cause it to become without form and void. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other if we're wrong about the day and the night being the 24-hour period and there was some work of evolution that took place over those 
thousand year period that wouldn't bother me at all but it's unlikely if we take the Bible at face value to accept that there was anything other than the creative power of God at work so here's the first day where God created the light it says it was good and God divided the light from the darkness now in Genesis chapter 1 verse 6 the second day begins and God said let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters and God made the firmament which and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so and God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day now there's something different about the second day that distinguishes it from all the others and that is God did not call what his work his second day work good the third day begins in verse 9 and God said let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good and God said let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after its kind and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the third day the third day gets two parts where God says it's good notice God didn't have to create the waters he didn't have to create the dry land that was already here from a previous existence or a previous condition upon the earth brings us to the fourth day verse 14 and God said let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and to let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night he made stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the first the fourth day now folks realize something he created light on the first day but that light didn't have anything to do with the, the light of the Sun light when he declared let there be light light was but it wasn't light from a source of the sun or any other source other than himself now folks there are some things that make me wonder for example how could the earth be in darkness if God was there the Bible says God is light and so how could the earth be without form and void and darkness move upon the face of the deep I don't have an answer for it 
But how could God divide the light from the day when the source of that light is himself? Where could God go for that light not to be seen? Interesting questions. I guess we'll get to ask him when we get there. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heavens. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after, its, after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the, in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Notice that these animals came from the, earth, uh, came from the, the waters, let the waters bring forth abundantly. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. Now these animals were not brought forth by the, uh, from the waters, but from the dry land. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of him created he, he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended the work which he had made. And he rested on the Sabbath day from all of his work where he has, which he has made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because it, that in it he had rested from all the work which God created and made. Now what happened here, folks? Did God get tired? What's the purpose of the Sabbath day in relation to creation or the creation of the earth? He made an end of all the things that he had made, meaning anything that was not made by God in those first six days can't be of God. Now, what day was sickness made? What day was poverty made? 
What day was worry or anxiety made? These are things that are not of God, and he did not create them. They are in the earth that we live in today because of man's fall, fallen condition and the curse that came upon the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. Now, folks, we know the details and the intricacies of this earth and the way that it was created. And the further we go, the more that medical science can tell us of new discoveries and things related to the earth. Some of the simplest things that we could re refer to has to do with the sun and the moon. The sun had to be placed in just the right place, right spot, just the right distance from the earth so that we wouldn't burn up during the day and we wouldn't freeze at night. The moon had to be just the right size and just the right distance from the earth to cause us to understand its, its role in the tides of the sea. If it was, too it was, if it was any further away, from the earth than it is then the waters would cover the sea and flood the, the earth and it would go back to its fallen state we know the things some of the things that medical science tells us govern our world like the weight of atoms if certain atoms weighed more than they do that it would make the earth uninhabitable there are millions and millions of things details that if they were just a little bit off a little bit different than what they are it would render the earth uninhabitable now how do those things play in to the Genesis account, Genesis account that we just read of the sixth day of God's work and the seventh day of rest. We don't see anywhere where God is speaking to the atoms. He's speaking to molecules. He's describing or defining the terms and the details of creation those things aren't given to us yet we know they had to be a part of his creative work what does this tell us well we see the power of god's word and again medical science uh, not medical science scientists researchers tell us that there are galaxies and solar systems that are beyond the, the view of the human eye and those solar systems and the rest of the universe is still moving it's moving away from the earth in other words the universe is growing and expanding now what would cause the universe to grow and expand there's only one logical answer and that is it had to be the work of the creator another thing that we found out 
is that the further away they get from our solar system, the faster they travel. So when God declared, let there be light, and when he made the stars and the sun and the moon and other heavenly bodies, other galaxies, other solar systems, the power of his word that was delivered by his, his command, let there be light, still carries creative power just like it did in the beginning. Now, folks, how did God accomplish these things? These little details, minute things that have been discovered that render the earth either habitable or, if it was different, uninhabitable. Is God declaring every little detail? Here we, we see that he created the sun and the moon. Is he creating the sun and the moon by speaking of every small detail? Is he speaking of solar flares and giving them boundaries? We know these things took place. We know these things are in place in the world that we live in. But how did it work? If God is creating the earth by speaking every detail into existence, then he might have needed longer than a 24-hour period to get it done. I believe that this Genesis account of creation tells us that God had a vision and that vision was accomplished through the words that he spoke. What is God's vision for man and the earth and the heavens? Well, we know what his purpose was in creating mankind. His purpose for mankind was to, for man to have dominion over the works of his hands, all of his creative works. But what was his purpose? The Bible tells us in, in Revelation chapter 21, John at the end of the tribulation time, the end of the things that had taken place and that he had spoken by the direction of God to take place, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now that new heaven and new earth was a purified or a glorified existence for the earth and the heavens. It was after Satan was dealt with once and for all. And how long did it take God to make that new heaven and new earth? Did it take him another six days of creation? It doesn't make sense on any level that the new heaven and new earth would be created in another thousand year period. 
No evolutionary work there. Now, we don't know how old the earth is. Medical science, from what I've read and researched, is pretty well convinced that the earth has been around for four and a half million years. And that may be true. There may have been several different generations of the earth before man was created. In Genesis chapter 2, let me point your attention to verse 4. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord, made, Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Generations? Why would generations be plural? It might be an indicator to us that there have been multiple creation works of the earth rather than just the one that caused it to become vo void without form and void as described in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. We really don't know what happened here before mankind came on the scene. But we do know what took place when man was created. In Psalm 8, let me read this to you. Psalm 8, beginning verse 1, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest fill the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. This word angels is the word Elohim. It means God himself, not the angels. Thou hast made him a little lower than God himself or yourself, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all, put all things under his feet. Now Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that it was an angel that said these things. So when God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. The angels are taken aback. And they question and say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that no matter what research or conclusions that science can come up with, whatever was here before man was brought on the scene was not mankind. It was not humankind. A lot of people think that or would hope that they could identify the things that take, took place on the earth through the fossil record. 
And it may be that there were different generations of creatures that were here on the earth. For example, you've got the dinosaurs, and then you've got caveman fossils. Now, it's possible they could have been here at the same time, but it's also possible that they weren't. And there's nothing that the fossil record can or ever will identify or show that makes the jump from one species of being, which might be the cavemen and mankind itself. So the earth could be four and a half billion years old, like some scientists believe that it is. We don't know how old the earth is. But we do know how long mankind has been here. So whatever happened in the earth before, mankind, mankind was a whole new ball game. The creation of man was something that the angels did not know. So God had to have a vision. His vision set the boundaries on creation. His vision created the atmosphere and the conditions that would support life. Life that is, human life that is. So when Revelation chapter 21 tells us about the new heaven and the new earth. It tells us about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to the earth. That tells us what God's vision was. God's vision was to dwell with mankind. That's the ultimate end of everything that's taking place in the earth today. That's the ultimate end of every work that God is bringing to pass everything that he does to associate himself with and intermingle with mankind is all for that one specific purpose to dwell with man so we can say from these things that we can deduce about the creation of the world, we can say without fear of contradiction that God's purpose is to bring about a divine state of being where he's dwelling among you and me. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Notice again verse 21. Let them not depart from thine eyes. 
let them not depart from thine eyes. Folks, God got exactly what he spoke. And he tells us that it's the eternal and unchanging law of mankind or humankind. As we have spoken in his ears, so shall he do unto us. In other words, we are governed by the words of our mouth. Just as we were created in God's image after his likeness, that doesn't just mean appearance. It means we were created to exercise dominion on the earth in the same exact way that God created the heavens and the earth. And that was by the spoken word. What you see yourself as, or what you see yourself with, or what you see yourself able to do, brings about the words that set the boundaries for our lives. Let my words not depart from thine eyes. You remember Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12, first couple of verses. Paul said by the Holy Ghost, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That, those two words, reasonable service, are translated in most other translations as spiritual worship. You remember when Jesus said in John chapter 4, talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How do we worship him in spirit? The charismatics believe that means just singing and speaking in other tongues. And certainly that can be a, a part of it. It should be a, a huge part of our worship of God. But spiritual worship is bringing your body under control. Spiritual worship is presenting your body a living sacrifice. Not doing what it wants to do but bringing it into control subject to the word of God on how we should live our lives. Verse 2, and be, not trans and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now he's talking about a transformation process. He's talking about the word of God, the most powerful thing in the universe, the creative ability of the Word of God bringing forth a transformation of our, of, of our lives, a transformation that takes place through the operation of the mind. The renewing of the mind means rather than operating according to the course of this world, thinking the way the world thinks. There's a transformation that's available to us 
designed by the will of God when we train our minds to think God's thoughts, when we train our minds to think according to God's word. Do you remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? They came to the promised land, the edge of the promised land. Numbers chapter 13 tells us that Moses sent 12 spies into the land to spy out the land, to see what kind of fruit there was, to see who the people were that lived in that land, what they could expect when they went over into uh, past the Jordan River, into the new promised land. And they came back, you remember, 10 of them had an evil report. 10 of them came back saying, we can't do what God said we can do. In other words, the evil report that they brought was challenging, uh, issued a challenge to God's word when God said, I'll bring you into the promised land. They said, we can't do it. The people are too strong. The cities have too high a wall. One of the things that it says at the end of Numbers chapter 13, part of their argument was, we are in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so are we in their sight. What did they see themselves as? Grasshoppers in relation to and compared with the armies of the people that lived in the promised land. Well, because they saw themselves that way, that's what they spoke themselves into being. Caleb and Joshua saw the same things in the promised land that they did, the ten spies did. And they were able to keep themselves in alignment or in agreement with God's word. Caleb spoke up and said, don't rebel against God. Since God is with us, he'll deliver these people into our hands. He said, there'll be bread for us. But the people believe the majority report, which almost always is wrong. So they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Now I want you to look with me also to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 tells us about Moses declaring unto the children of Israel what to do when they take the promised land. Joshua is about to take over when Moses goes off the scene. Let's start in verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, thy, thy wine, and thine oil, the increase of thy kind and of the flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all peoples, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver unto thee. Thine eyes shall have no pity for upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto them. If thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I. How can I dispossess them? Let's stop there for a minute. 
and let's consider what he's telling us. He's not saying it's a sin to ask, how can we do this? He's simply saying that when fear comes against you, and it always does, here's how to handle it. Here's how to take care of the fear that the devil will bring to you to try to keep you out of the promised land just like he kept out the generations before you. If thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Now, folks, one of the things that's unique about humankind is that we think in pictures. If I say the word house, you immediately think about your house. If I say dog, you can think about your dog. Now, we're all obviously not all thinking the same thing. The house that you're thinking of is not the house that I'm thinking of. The dog that you think about is not the dog that I think about. So when the Bible talks about the work of the mind, the transformation or the transformative nature of the mind in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, by the way, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's not just talking about the physical brain. He's talking about spiritual thoughts, which are always the, the picture, the images that come as a result of seeing yourself with what God's word says you have. So because we think in pictures, what we call to remembrance is of utmost importance to us when we're in a fight. When we have determined to take hold of what God's word says we have, we're simply seeing a picture of ourselves being victorious. We're seeing a picture of ourselves being healed if sickness is the fight we're fighting. We share ourselves with abundance if poverty and lack are the things that are coming out against us. So he says, it shall say in your heart, how can we do this These nations are more than I. How can I dispossess them? God gives them the answer. He said, remember what I did unto Pharaoh and unto all of Egypt. Now, this is a puzzling part to me and always has been. The people that he's talking to in Deuteronomy chapter 7 are the children of the previous generation, the generation that came out of Egypt and refused to go into the promised land. And the Bible says that everybody from age 20 and up died in the wilderness over the next 40 years. So the oldest anybody could be that was part of the previous generation is 19 years old. Add to that the 40 years they spent in the wilderness. 
and the oldest of the people, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua and Moses himself, the oldest anybody could be was 59 years old. The Bible tells us that Caleb was 80 when they took the promised land and he asked for his inheritance. He came to Joshua and said, give me this mountain for I am well able to overcome it. He took a part of the promised land that was the most difficult to take possession of. One of the things that I've seen over the years is that you got a lot of people that as they age, they don't want to fight anymore. When they were younger, they were willing to join in in the battles. And the resistance to the devil to accomplish God's plans. But when they get older, they don't want to fight anymore. They don't have a desire for, they don't have a, an acceptance of the ongoing fight to overcome the, the resistance of Satan and take hold of the promises of God. But a spiritual person never loses the will to fight. A strong person, somebody that's strong in the Lord and the power of his might, never loses their willingness to fight. And in fact, the fights become easier and easier because of the experience they have and the things they've learned from God's faithfulness in times past. So he said, Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but thou shalt re well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all of Egypt. Why didn't the, the ten spies act on that it would have been easier for them because they were the ones that lived through it they were the ones that just a few years before had seen God part the Red Sea there were certainly ones in the next generation that could remember those things as well but why in the world would the ten spies accept the thought? And that's all it was. It was just a thought that they were dealing with, a fear that they were dealing with up front. But why in the world wouldn't they encourage themselves when they saw the strength of the people in the promised land? They couldn't have been stronger than Pharaoh. The Egyptian army was the strongest army on the face of the earth at that point in time. And they didn't have a protracted battle. It wasn't like they had to fight a war for years and years and years over them. They just simply took advantage of what God had promised them and went across the Red Sea on dry land. But here God is telling you what thoughts to think. He's telling you what thoughts will transform you. He's telling you what thoughts will bring the right vision to you. 
Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all of Egypt. The great temptations which, were, which thine eyes saw, and the signs and wonders in the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out. So the Lord thy God shall do unto all the people of them of whom thou art afraid. What you see yourself as, what you see yourself with, what you see yourself as willing as, as being able to do determines everything when it comes to God's word. Now think about how this changes the meaning or the understanding of other scriptures. For example, the Bible says in a couple of places, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What is that joy of the Lord? Well, that joy of the Lord literally is the sacrifice of praise. So the sacrifice of praise is our strength. Well, that's what we just read in Psalm 8. You have ordained strength out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. You wouldn't expect a baby to win a war or win any kind of battle. But even when a baby, the least and the weakest among us, when they offer the sacrifice of praise, they assure of their victory. Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusts in thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, who sees himself with the victory. That's what it means to have your mind stayed on the Lord. It means to think spiritual thoughts. What are spiritual thoughts? Thoughts of victory, thoughts of healing, thoughts of abundance. And it's a proof that you're trusting in God. It's a proof of your faith being active and working. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, whose thinking thoughts of victory. Because he trusts you. Because he trusts in God. This transformation or this transformative process is a never-ending work of God's word in us. Anybody can think thoughts of victory anybody can think thoughts of healing anybody can think thoughts of abundance and when we get those thoughts clearly defined in our lives that's when the words that we say changes and brings about a change in our life Brother Hagin used to have a saying. It went something like this. He said, it's thinking faith thoughts and speaking faith words that bring the heart out of defeat and into victory.
And folks, let me change gears just a little bit and bring something to your attention. We know that the Bible declares that God is waiting, delaying Jesus' return to the earth for the church until he received the early and the latter rain. The Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, to pray, ask for the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, is this the time for the latter rain? I don't know how anybody could say it wasn't. What is God going to do in the last days before Jesus comes back for the church? Well, the Bible tells us that the early and the latter rain will bring forth a harvest, the precious fruit of the earth, as James calls it. So I believe that the things that we can expect and hope for, put our trust in, is that the last days will be a type of the year of Jubilee. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Well, folks, if that doesn't come into the hands of the church before the rapture, then what good is it going to do anybody? The day of Jubilee, literally the year of Jubilee, is identified by everything that we've lost being restored to us. Now, I'm not talking about the day of Jubilee or the year of Jubilee based on the Jewish calendar. I'm talking about the time of Jubilee based on our knowledge of the character and the nature of God. I think it's time for the church to start saying restore. I think it's time for the church to start seeing itself the way that God sees us with complete and total access to the power of God to effect good on the earth. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Let's make a couple of confessions about restoration. Say this after me. Father in heaven, we see in your word that these are the last days. And in these last days, we see a moving of the Holy Spirit to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we call upon you to restore unto us the years that the devil has taken. We call upon you, Father, for healing and healing miracles, for financial miracles, for miracles in every area of our Christian walk. We expect you, Father, to give us direction and utterance by the Holy Ghost 
to bring multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, for restoring unto us everything the devil has taken. We declare, Father, even as your word says, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. We lay claim to that in Jesus' name. We count on you, Father, to give unto your servants boldness to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. Amen. There's a place, I'm not sure where it's found, you can look it up. But there's a place where God is lamenting that his people are not calling for restoration. Those that have lost time and part of the blessings of God to the work of the devil in their lives, God doesn't want us to put up with that and just say, well, too bad we lost it. He's looking for us to believe him, to restore us to the place that we were, or even better than that. I've got some things that the devil has taken from me that I want back. I've got time that took away from some things that the Bible promises that I want back. So I say restore. I say restore. I say restore. Restore. Hallelujah. 
Let's say it three times. And then I'll let you go. Restore, restore, restore. Amen. God bless you, folks. Wait a minute. Is about a month ago, the Holy Spirit really quickened the scripture to my heart. And it goes along with what Pastor Mike was saying. <coughs> it's in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. I'm reading it from the Amplified. It says, Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond. Our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work in us. Hallelujah. So even as we declare restore, God is such a great God. It's super abundantly more than all we dare ask or even think. Hallelujah.